Beware, Jesus says, because there are some who will come to you like false prophets. They're like wolves dressed like sheep. Beware or, or be on your guard or, or pay attention in case you see. Beware. Beware, Jesus says, because I'm sending you out. This is in chapter 10. Beware because I'm going to send you out and there will be people who are out in the world to which I send you who will be prepared to hurt you. So be on your guard. Because some of those people out there are ready to take you up and to tie you up and take you to the, the Sanhedrin or take you to the council or take you to the, the powers that be and they're going to hand you over to be beaten. They'll hand you over to be killed if they can manage it. Be careful out there, Jesus says. Beware. Be on your guard, Jesus says in Luke, against all forms of greed because a person's life doesn't consist in the abundance of their possessions. Beware. Beware is a word that means be alerted. Remain vigilant. Stay on guard. Oh, well, you know how it is when you know all kinds of people, and, and there's certain people that you feel at ease with, and there's certain people that you feel at home with. It's not been just one or two people that we've met along our way that I remember talking with Kelly about. And she says something to the effect of, I feel like when I'm with them, I have to always be on guard. Ever, ever known somebody like that? I say, ever had a friend like that? And maybe you would hesitate to call them a different, but ever had somebody in one of your social circles that you felt like you really, like you liked being around them perhaps, but you didn't necessarily trust them. Or you knew that you could talk about all kinds of things that sat on the surface of life, but you knew where the boundary was. And because of the kind of understanding you had of their character, you knew there were certain things that you couldn't trust to tell them. And so whenever you talked around them, you had a, you had a feeling of being on guard. A wariness an attentiveness of the limits of what you would entrust to them. Ever know anybody like that? Come on, church, tell me. Anybody know anybody like that? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us a terrifying suggestion. What if it's you that you need to be aware of? 
Here he doesn't say one of the external things, beware of the false sheep or, uh, or the, the false prophets or beware of the, the sheep in wolf's clothes. There's one time where Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the, uh, of the Pharisees and, the, um, and his disciples get confused. And there's this really funny episode later on in Matthew where they say, is he telling us that because we forgot to bring bread? <laughs> to who was supposed to bring the bread? Thomas. And Jesus gets so frustrated with him. He's like, I'm not talking to you about bread. I'm talking about the way that the, 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 the Pharisees and the, the, the teachers of the law, the way that they like have to do everything in public all the time. That's what I'm talking about. Beware of that. But in chapter 6, where Jesus is turning in the Sermon on the Mount from all of these things the you have heard it said, but I tell you, all, all of that kind of stuff where he's kind of deep in our understanding of what it means to follow the instruction of God, the Torah. And he's deepening our understanding about what, what God really wants from us, that the commands about, uh, about murder or adultery, um, that they're really things that have to do with our hearts, what's on the inside of who we are. And now he's going to turn from that section into a section where he's going to speak to us about different kinds of practices of the spiritual life. And they were practices that were well known in his day, uh, practices like giving to the poor or practices like prayer or practices like fasting. And there were things that he would have, all of his disciples were already doing these things. He expected them to continue doing them, but he had something to say about what it meant to really carry out those practices and in, in jump into that, that whole conversation. You have to know that there were some of his disciples that were really looking forward to having that conversation. There were certain of his followers that really wanted to have that conversation about giving. Because they loved their capacity to give. I mean, don't you know Matthew, that tax collector, he came into the discipleship group and he already has some money in the bank, maybe. And you know, there were some of Jesus' disciples that really wanted to talk about what it meant. You know, Judas at one point, Judas at one point interrupts Jesus and says, uh, well, while some people are... Um, anointing his feet with precious perfume. And Jesus points out and says, well, Judas says, well, you know, you know, if I had all that, then I wouldn't waste it, but just pouring it on his feet. I would have made sure and given it all to the poor. And the gospel tells us that Judas said that because he liked to take a little bit of that and put it on his own pocket. They had no problem saying in front of everybody, hey, I love when we have the chance to be generous to our poor neighbors. That's what I would have used that money for. There's somebody else in that crowd love to talk about prayer. That may have been what they originally attracted them to Jesus is his prayer life, Right. And because they were people, the Jewish people were a people of prayer. They had structured times every day, every week to spend in prayer. They knew what it meant to be a people of prayer. And you know that one of those disciples, now I don't know which one it was. We don't get a verse about that at some point. But don't you know there was one of his disciples 
that really wanted to have that conversation with Jesus about what it meant to be prayerful. Not, not just because they wanted to learn from Jesus, because they had built up some thoughts about it their own selves and would love to have shared, maybe taught Jesus a thing or two. And you know, you know there was that one disciple that was super into fasting, that was super into that. Jesus looks at his disciples. And before he can talk about the disciplines themselves and what it really means, he says, beware. Pay close attention. Give heed to. Not something on the outside. Not a false prophet or a Pharisee or their teaching or the people that are on the outside that are the enemies who are going to try to imprison you. Don't, you don't just have to be aware of all that. Be aware of yourself. Beware, he says, of doing your righteousness in front of people in order to be seen by them. If you do so, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus imposes on his disciples in this moment something that we might call a discipline of the secret. A discipline of what it means to hold something back. To hold something back from that public life Something that is interior and is secret that cannot be known by anybody else. And he's pretty radical in the way he talks about this. In this first few verses, he talks about uh, almsgiving, the way that we uh, take care of the poor. And he says, you should be so careful about doing that. Be so careful about the way that you give to the poor that you don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Right? Now, in Churches of Christ, we would say, make sure that you fold your check really tight. Okay? When the basket is passed. Make sure that nobody knows. Don't make a big, don't make a big deal out of it. The discipline of the secret has implications for the other disciplines that he's going to talk about for prayer and for fasting. It has implications for other things that we know about too, like worship and the things that we do here in this place. It may surprise you uh, to learn that in, uh, in the fifth, uh, fifth century, somewhere between the fourth and sixth century, there was a custom in the church. And I, I bet many of us don't, aren't aware of this, like a real obscure piece of church history. And it used to be called the arcane, we called arcane discipline, the discipline of the secret. Okay. They didn't necessarily use that language, but, uh, that's what, church historians talk about it as and here's what they did they would have church in two parts they would have worship in two parts they, they would have the first part of it the discipline uh, the, the the liturgy of the word okay was the part that was like this somebody would preach and somebody would teach they would talk about scripture they would talk about obedience to god and ethics and what it meant to follow god in all those sorts of ways and then they would say okay that's the public part of worship. If you haven't been baptized yet, 
it's time for you to go. And everyone that had not yet committed to Jesus in, in baptism would leave. They would shut the doors. They would lock the doors. And then they would have the liturgy of the table. Mass, the, the communion part of worship. With this idea, and I, I think this is a distortion, I'm, I'm not suggesting. By the way, if, if, you're, if you're not baptized yet, you're welcome to be here. Um, <laughs> we're glad you're here. But there was an understanding in the church that there were certain things that you couldn't talk about outside of it yet. Because it wasn't necessarily going to be intelligible. In fact, it might be misleading to somebody on the outside. And it was meant to be kept Tight. Like I said, I think that was a distortion. I don't think that's what Jesus necessarily meant there, but I do think it points to something, right? It points to there are certain elements of our faith that aren't meant, that can never be meant as a show. There's a certain part of our faith that can never become something to be performed on the outside. Now, I got to tell you, I, Mary Joy, I don't know where you, I can never find you during worship. You sit in different, oh, she's gone. <laughs> or is she just down there, Eric? She's a little, she sits a little lower than you. Um, I, I really identify with what she shared in the welcome this morning. And I have to tell you, um, we loud Christians have some hazards that sometimes we have to negotiate. I mean, preachers, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not here to whine about it, but I'm telling you, it's kind of an occupational hazard, right? Because you can be so, it's real easy to get wrapped up. And I'm telling you, I, I mean, these first couple of months, I've loved being here. And you guys are so affirming and you pet me on the head and you tell me I'm doing a good job and all that. And I really appreciate it. It's very encouraging. And it's also kind of dangerous. Not to you, but to me. Because I really, 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 really want to do a good job. I really do. In, in 2020, when we were in the depths of COVID, and when we were going through that practice, and we were trying to just throw everything against the wall that we could uh, to, to get something to stick, right? I mean, you guys were doing that too, right? Central was trying to do that too. Like, man, how do we... How do we just keep maintaining our sense of our community. One of the things that we did um, that, that I was a part of in Tullahoma is we had, um, you know, we had all kind of like Zoom groups and things like that. And one thing that we did is that uh, I started off, I started doing this kind of morning prayer time sort of thing. And I would, I would get on and I would log on just very much like I, uh, you know, on the church's Facebook account. And I, I, was, I was doing the kind of thing that was like my normal prayer routine, right? Where, where we would do, like, I usually have some kind of psalm and we, we'd, uh, you know, pray through that. We'd have a little time of silence and I'd ask people what, what, what kinds of things we could pray about. And I, I think it was helpful. I think it was useful. I think it was a good thing to do. I, do, I would absolutely do that again, okay? Um, but here was the catch. It did not take very long at all before that thing that had been my thing And I put it out on the internet, and it was a public thing, 
And, and it wasn't long before that public thing Like, my personal prayer life couldn't be sustained by that public thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it kind of, like, scooped something out of it. It took something out of it when it was done. And I wasn't trying to perform something, but you, you understand what I'm saying, right? There was just something that got lost. Now, for I think for other people, it was helpful. I think it was useful. And like I said, I would do it again. But if I started that again... Um, I think I would do something different. I would think I would say, I'm only going to do that after I guard and do my own personal thing first. Does that make sense? Because if all I had was the thing that was going to be on show, if all I was going to do was going to be what was public for everybody else to see, that I'm just telling you that there's something mystically at work in what Jesus has to say here. It just didn't reward me in the same way once I did it in front of other people. Jesus isn't saying necessarily, don't ever do something so that it can't be seen. Jesus actually, remember, he, he's told us just a few, you know, a few paragraphs before uh, in our time. That's a few months earlier. But in Jesus, in the sermon, about five minutes earlier, Jesus has said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. And here Jesus says. No, that's not what he said. Here Jesus says, you better be careful about that though. And you need to realize and recognize, beware that when you do it for the purpose of being seen, it actually changes what you get from it. Changes what you get from it. This is Jesus' discipline of the secret. And I don't think it's meant to say you should, you know, only ever, ever do it where nothing can be seen. I don't think it's meant to impose a new rule on us. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. But he is giving us a discipline, a practice, a way of life. And he's saying to us, you need to remember that in your public and private spirituality, that if it's all public, it won't be as good for you. You won't get the same reward of it. Now, we might talk about what that reward means. I think there's all kinds of reward. In fact, I, I want to point out right now that there are so many rewards from the things that Jesus offers here. From the way that we give and the way that we pray and our disciplines of fasting, they are abundant gifts that give so many rewards, okay? God rewards those things, both now and in the life to come. But the reward doesn't come, none of those rewards come in the same way or as powerfully if we go ahead and cash in the value of them by using them to enhance our reputation with other people. That's the catch. So there's a public life and there's a, a, a private life of our faith. And I want to say something about that. Um, we need to all understand 
okay, that in our world, where, which, which has this crazy dichotomy about public and private, and we have new tools now that, uh, you know, everybody is a publisher, everybody has their own, uh, you know, talk radio show, uh, and these, these incredible tools that we have technologically to kind of broadcast our thoughts. It's almost like everybody was given a free billboard in front of your, in front of their house to say whatever they wanted to everybody. And you can recognize that that is a terrible idea. But just because it's digital don't mean it's any less true. People use these billboards to kind of broadcast so much of what is their personal life. And it turns out that so much that's in the personal life, they probably should have kept it themselves to start with, right? So here's the thing. We all have this new way of living where we can make our lives, much more of our lives, public than perhaps was before. And we have this other part of our world that is rushing. And I think it's a kind of response to that. We have this other part of our world that is rushing to protect some things and keep them secrets. Okay. So you, you don't, and what I mean by that is I don't know that you have HIPAA if you don't have Facebook. Okay. So like on one hand, our society is public, public, public. And another part that scares us to death and like all the tech companies are now racing to say, no, we, we, we're the ones, I mean, Apple's making billions of dollars by pretending that they love privacy that much more. Right. And they may, maybe. So this public-private thing is part of our world. It's part of what we're spinning in, okay? Here's what I want to tell you. Your public life can never be as deep as your private life. Never. You can never share publicly the depth of what is possible for your interior life, your interior part of your heart. You can never do it. So if you only live on the public plane, you are dooming yourself to live a surface, shallow life. And this is part of the problem with our whole society. Is that we are judging each other based on what happens in the public plane and we're racing to perform on the public plane in such a way that we are hollowing out the interior part of our world so it really is true that we are becoming more surface more shallow and it's because of our inordinate attention to the public So one thing we have to recognize that I think is present in Jesus's warning here is that if we only think of our spirituality as that which happens on the public plane and we don't reserve some of it for something that is interior, then we can only grow to that capacity which the public will allow. And this is a, this is a tremendous problem. It's, it, it's the problem that uh, results in so many headlines that think about a public dimension of Christianity. And a lot of us look at those headlines and we say, wait, wait, that doesn't, that doesn't describe the faith. I don't know. I, I recognize. I mean, you guys feel that? You don't know that feeling? Like something's like represented about Christianity in, the, in like the, the newspaper or whatever. And you're like, ah, that's not, that's not what I believe. 
That doesn't represent what I think or the way I feel. Well, part of that's just the function of that the public can only handle that top layer, y'all. And we can never expect the public's appreciation of Christianity to be something as deep as what we understand at the table of Jesus. And if we're content to live only in that public space, then we won't allow our roots to grow deep either. Remember, Jesus told a parable about seed that gets tossed onto a path and because it can't get its roots down in the depths, it can't really bear fruit. So beware of that public and private divide and beware of what it means to live only in the public space. Carve out a space where the disciplines of the spiritual life are done in secret, where they're not public. They're not for everybody else. They're between your life with God. Pursue. Pursue an interior spirituality that connects with God in the secret space, in the private space, in the heart. Brian, today in class, um, was pointing us towards, at one point, a a verse in the Psalms that says, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. And I think what Jesus is pointing to here is related to that, right? Like, don't allow everybody to see completely all the way through into the body. You have to guard that space a little bit and cultivate that space. Spend more time cultivating what people can't see. Give up the race of trying to only cultivate what everybody else can notice and everybody else can pay attention to. The second thing I really want to say here, in addition to like paying attention to the difference between the public and the private dimensions of our spirituality, um, is this. In this world, there is so much of a temptation to perform your life. And when we are fixated on what our performance looks like, and we continue to give attention to what our performance looks like to other people, okay, then we can very easily slip into something where we are trying to perform a role. We are playing a character, like something, somebody else, okay? And the life of the Spirit will resist that. It resists being performed. So don't just perform your spirituality. Be content to live it. Don't perform your life. Be content to live it. Live your life. Let go of all the the stuff. Don't do it for the gram, you know? Live it, live your life and live in that deep place of connection with God, not as a performance for somebody else, but as a part of who you are and be content to live in that life with all its messiness and struggle and everything else. My boy came out of the, out of his bedroom today and he looked in the mirror and he said, yes, my hair is straight today. And you know what? That's great. He's, is he diving under the, the, the uh, funeral? Uh, that's great, buddy. I'm glad your hair's straight today. But you know what? It's great if your hair looks kind of crazy, too. It's okay. 
It's okay to come to church with your shirt kind of unbuttoned and feeling a little like you're not put together and like you just come in in a hassle. It's okay, right? Your spirituality has to be able to hold all of that together. Hold the messiness of it all together a little bit. Because it's not just about what other people see on the outside. It's about who you are. It's not what you perform. It's who you are. And Jesus walks us towards that today. Listen, my friends. One of the great resources that we have is our attentiveness. And in our, our, our world, our, there are so many things that want to pull our attention in just a billion different directions. It is, it's so maddening, it's so frustrating to, to live like that, where there's, you know, horns and clowns on every corner. Jesus says, reserve some part of your attention. Carefully. Train it so that it can vigilantly perceive why you are doing the things that you're doing. Give heed. Pay close attention to it. Watch it. Beware. And make sure that in the ways that you're practicing your faith, that it's not just about what everybody else sees, but it's about what God sees. And the promise there is that in doing so, there is a great reward. Let's pray together. Give us attentive, careful eyes, O oh God. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. And Father, may we be careful of those things which would distort the purity of our service to you, that would distort our worship or our giving, or our, our, our prayers that would distort the disciplines of faith. Father, give us attentiveness to the part of our heart from which all these things come. May we closely watch over it. And God, would you by your spirit watch over it with us and for us? And Father, would you continually refine us so that we may be purer and purer in heart, so that we be more, we may be more and more your sons and daughters. Oh God, would you indeed accept us as we are and yet continually refine us so that we may better reflect your glory from the inside out? And may your name be praised among people among the angels. And Father, may your praise be known even more purely from our own hearts because of what you've done among us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.